I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and this is The How, The Why. Presented by 1888. Every week, we connect with artists, authors, and innovators in the world of publishing and literature to discuss their creative process and creative purpose and explore the evolution of the industry. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get connected. Hello and welcome to the How the Why brought to you by 1888. My name is John Barrett Ingalls and today we are connected with Libby Flores, the program manager at Penn Center USA's Emerging Voices Fellowship and also author of multiple, multiple short stories. Uh, Libby, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, so. Let's jump in and talk a little bit about your position uh, with Penn Center. Talk a little bit about Penn Center USA for Mm -hmm. the uninformed who are listening right now. Sure. Um, Well, Penn Center USA is a literary arts nonprofit. Um, There are two Penn Centers in the United States. A lot of people are aware of uh, Penn America, which is based in New York. Uh, but we're both a branch of Penn International, which is the world's leading international literary and human rights organizations. So they are the sort of, they're there, the hub. And uh, to put it plainly, our center focuses on literary culture, fostering the right to read and the right to write. Um, and we also, you know, champion the freedom to write cause, which is essentially freeing journalists, freeing writers, um, internationally and that are imprisoned for what they've written. Hmm. And the Emerging Voices Fellowship, let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. Okay. Uh, the Emerging Voices Fellowship, uh, I believe we've been around since 1996. Um, and so we just had our 20th anniversary. And essentially it's a mentorship fellowship. And with seven months, Um, We're actually, I'm looking at applications now currently, um, and we uh, award, and the fellowship starts in January, it goes until about July, and it's a full-on toolbox for writers, so you have the mentorship, which is the most intensive part of the um, fellowship, you have author evenings, which visiting authors, like we have outstanding names that will come and visit and talk to the writers every Monday night, Uh, we have master class. We have a voice instructing uh, class, so it teaches the writers how to read their work. Um, We also are given an an in-trade at UCLA Extension Writers Program classes, which are fantastic. Um, And so it's sort of a full boat of information. They meet editors, they meet agents, and every year we try to improve upon the tools that we're offering to stay updated. We teach people how to submit their work out to journals online and... um, and essentially, sort of at the end of the seven to eight months, we like free them, free the writers out into the world and hope they carry on and continue writing and submitting work. And um, a lot of our writers, I think we have about 40 books that have been published um, that have come out of the Emerging Voices Fellowship and like numerous, you know, 
numerous journals, awards, fellowships that they've gone on to do. So for a lot of people, it's a starting place. You know, it's a place that they they begin. They're in between, you know, degrees or they're they have a very untraditional academic background or they just they frankly, I mean, it's founded in writers who lack access. So we want writers who maybe necessarily can't afford the MFA or writers that, um, you know, they need the next logical next step, but they don't really know what that is. You know, they don't really have, you know, fundamentally the tools to submit their work, um, edit their work. Um, and a lot of people come to us because they're seeking that mentorship with a, with a published writer. Now, aside from that, there's also just a regular membership that uh, people can yes. uh, ap- apply to. And to talk a little bit about what you get as a member of the Penn Center. Sure. So uh, there are different levels of membership. So a student can be a member, a uh, published writer can be a member, and then just, you know, readers and lovers of literature and people that champion freedom to write, the cause itself can be members. Uh, we actually even have a bookseller membership as well. Um, and so all of those um, are under the umbrella of the Free and Trite mission. So as soon as you join, I think the most important thing to let people know is that your voice is joining in and making our larger, making our voice larger um, internationally to, um, to champion these writers who are wrongly imprisoned. Um, we just had two release cases, you know, because of, because of members, because of, because our voice and attention is very loud on these cases. So immediately when you join up, you have the option to join something called a RAND. So it's basically a petition, online petition. So you can sign those. It's the easiest thing you'll do probably all day, but it makes a large impact. Um, the other things that you get are like discounts. We do craft sessions. So you have discounts on those. We do author evenings. You can, go to those for free or at a large discount, any sort of events that we do, with the exception of our gala, there's a discount for members. Um, and so there's a wide variety of things that we offer uh, to members um, that essentially, and we're, we're rolling some new stuff out all the time as well. So we wanna make them feel like they have like kind of a VIP path to, to anything that we do. How many members do you have? about at this point i believe right now our center has about 900 wow yeah and that's just uh, for the west coast right so yeah we mm-hmm. represent uh all our members represent every uh state west of the mississippi mm-hmm. so when people are sort of making the distinction between the new york center it's sort of like going the other way <laughs> so that's the the other side of the united states but we're Would all joining be... under the same cause you know sure yeah. And and everybody internationally is a part of that uh the the RAN uh Yeah, the RAN. exactly. So it's essentially you are if you're a member of any center, um mm-hmm. that you're you're automatically engaged in defending freedom of speech internationally. Sure. Essentially. Okay. And and so and so you will see, you know, the cases will come into your email. Um, and then, you know, obviously we want you to be moved by all of them and there's a very easily clickable link where you're, where you essentially sign on to a petition and just any kind of attention. Cause most of these cases, they just need attention. They need, you know, national attention. Um, you can see a lot of things roll out into the press and then things start to magically happen. Um, you know, most of these journalists and most of these writers that are, you know, 
in jail, it could be something, you know, it could be a play they've written. It could be something that, um, you know, a blog sometimes even. Mm. And uh, any sort of national attention is, um, you know, they, those countries don't, they want to avoid that like the plague. So like for us to um, be drawing that attention to the cases, it makes a really large difference. And I think it's something that people, you know, people are moved by a lot of things from our center. And that's definitely, I think, one of the strongest uh, that people, people feel like, oh, I should really be a member of an association that does this. No, no other organization is doing that in the United States. Um, so, you know, what we, what, you know, if I'm standing at a party, I'm like, oh, we're like Amnesty International, but for writers. And people go, mm. oh, yeah, okay. I know what that means. Right. Um, you know, because sometimes it's a mouthful. Crazy. I mean, <laughs> we, we do a lot of other things. We have a, a something called Pen the Community. We, have, we do writers in schools and uh, underserved communities, go into uh, veteran communities and senior communities and provide writing classes and um, creative writing classes for them. And we also have a literary awards gala, which is happening uh, next week, uh, believe it or not. Um, and and so, yeah, so we have, you know, different sort of wings of, of what we do locally. And then we do a lot of what we hope uh, is exciting uh, public programming. So bringing writers to L.A., getting them in conversation, like we just did the author evening series last this year, actually, and put two writers in conversation and, you know, getting people engaged, not just writers, but readers, too, that getting them engaged about books and reading. And we just started a book club. So. We have all kinds of stuff going on. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the uh, Literary Awards Gala, uh, the, yeah. the Penn Center's Literary Awards. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> the Literary Awards Gala itself is a fairly fancy event, and that's probably an understatement. Um, mm. We have uh, we have different awards. We give out genre awards, so fiction, nonfiction, onto teleplay, playwriting. Uh, drama, you know, every sort of genre you can imagine. And so we have the genre awards and then we have uh, what we call our honorees. So we have uh, a First Amendment award we're giving out to Bill Maher this year, a Lifetime Achievement Award we're giving to Elizabeth Isabel Allende. Um, we have an award in honor and a Freedom to Write Award. So we have different, um, you know, those are something, those are sort of evergreen. We do those every year. And then the genre awards are, you know, we have a committee of judges and uh, they read like five million trillion books and then decide on finalists and winners for, um, you know, fiction, nonfiction, et cetera. And the night of is really great. It's at the Beverly Wilshire, you know, the Pretty Woman Hotel, um, mm -hmm. as most people know it as. <laughs> and uh, this year we have Amber Tamlin and David Cross hosting, which is going to be hilarious and wonderful. And, uh, you know, we have Jennifer Egan presenting. We have a, some surprise stuff I can't tell you right now that's coming. <laughs> so, you know, we always have really interesting, you know, celebrities and writers pop up to present uh, these awards. So um, it's going to be a really fun night. And you get to put on some fancy clothes. And, you know, writers like to do that every once in a while. Sure. I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot different than sweats and sitting in front that's of your right. computer. Yeah, exactly. So you entered the Penn Center. You were one of the Emerging Voices Fellowship back in 2008. Um, mm -hmm. when, when you submitted, when you, did you have a full concept of what you were entering into? Hmm. Um, that's a very good question. 
I um, was just discovering sort of the creative writing class. So I was taking a lot of courses at um, UCLA Writers Program. I don't know if you know that extension program. Mm -hmm. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, And that's a fantastic thing they offer because it's essentially, you know, high-level courses and you don't have to have any prerequisite to go into them. I think some of them are like master classes and you have to kind of apply to them. But I was taking those because I just discovered um, extension. And so I was like going for it. I was like, wow, this exists. I was so excited. And I actually looked across the room and there was a girl in one of my classes and she was wearing the same shoes as I was. I know this is going somewhere. And so I was like, (laughs) weird, that's crazy. Uh, and so we got to be friends and she was of course, you know, a fiction writer, short fiction writer like me. And essentially, uh, we became fast friends and she's like, Oh, I just got this thing called the emerging voices fellowship. And I was like, what is that? And what is pen? And like, you know, all of these other things I just didn't know. And I think I was just really hungry for a literary community. I just had just sort of tapped the surface, I feel like. And I was going to every reading every night. I mean, I was, like going nuts um and uh so i followed her fellowship i went to all her public readings that's another element i failed to mention at the early early on in the call is that we do three public readings because it's really important for to get your work out there and to be seen sure. and so and to get used i would to be able to read yeah. your work in public exactly it's terrifying still um but it's definitely something where I watched it and I was like, I want in, I want, I want this. This seems great. And I saw the mentorship relationships. Uh, I met some people that worked at Penn at the time and I fell in love with it. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to throw my hat in. I, I felt like I fell under the sort of what we used to call the lack of access. We now call locked out of the literary establishment. I felt like I fell under that, um, in many ways. And so, uh, I got in, I got a call and I was like, at work so I couldn't scream into the phone but I wanted to and I was thrilled and so that definitely changed my life and that was in 2008. Now with the Emerging Voices are they open to I know Penn itself is open to all mm-hmm. different genres of the Emerging Voices open to different genres of writing as well or are they more geared toward the literary Oh, yeah. I mean, we always say in the application is fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. So if someone okay. wants to say, hey, I'm writing a mystery or, hey, I'm writing a, a you know, uh, speculative fiction, um, I mean, we we just want it to be a great sample. I mean, I know that's so unhelpful, but we want to be grabbed and mesmerized and, you know, want to finish all 20 pages in like a, you know, quick, quick pace and... And so I think that comes in a lot of different forms. I think we're surprised every year. I think there are fads. I think we see when something's kind of popular, we see that come in as you do, I'm sure as editors do in journals. Um, but you know, I mean, as long, we don't limit it to literary fiction. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that term is annoying for a lot of people, but I think that we're just looking for work that really stands out. But it's not open to, to uh, like plays or um, no. hybrid forms or mm, not as of yet I mean we don't do playwriting or teleplay only because the program as it stands now doesn't serve those writers 
Right. Uh, we don't have something that would be uh, that would fit that yet. I mean, I aspire to that. I think that would be wonderful. I think there's a lot of uh, people that do that really well in in Los Angeles as well. Um, but it, you know, I, I'm I'm, a, I'm open to it, John. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> now you yourself um, entered in with as a, a short fiction writer. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you knew at the beginning that that's what your focus or your strength or or that's what you were or guided to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I I was really drawn to that form. I was reading a lot of that form. I still, I mean, I love the short story. I I, I don't think I'll ever fall out of love with it. It. Um, I'm trying to remember, I mean, I remember writing some, of course, horribly embarrassing stories in that first, you know, couple of years at UCLA Extension. And, um, but I would think I was just, I was grappling with like, you know, how to get the other leg over the other side of the horse. Do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, I love this thing, but how do you do this? Um, And I, um, yeah, I was just reading tons of things. I was reading tons of you know, best American short stories. I was reading like, I was getting those crazy like Norton anthology, you know, uh, mm-hmm. collected and just, and I just read and read. I mean, my bookshelf is still full of all of those things because I was like, I just, I wanted to go back and read sort of the classics and I wanted to read things were that were important and contemporary um, pretty much as widely as I could because I was like, what is this? How do people do this? You know, how do you crack this form? Which the wonderful answer is you don't. I mean, the thing mm-hmm. is you never do really. Sure. I mean, you know that wonderful resting line when you write it and you know it when you read it. But like as far as every single time it being completely different, I know people say that about the novel and other forms, but I do feel like it's um, it's wildly different every time. Like it's you're never going to be bored. And talk a little bit about how your writing changed through the fellowship. Um, my writing changed through the fellowship. I think I was already writing kind of weird stuff. You know, like I remember like I definitely entered in uh, with two stories that were pretty wacky. Um, I think there was one about this woman who worked at a hotel that was obsessed with a man who was the janitor who looked like Charles Manson. And I thought that was this. <laughs> really fabulous story uh, and and it was it was like me stretching and kind of trying that stuff and so I was paired with somebody as a mentor Andrea Siegel is her name and she apparently you know she's she definitely had written these kinds of stories I think that was the the pairing idea there and I think what it taught me was I mean what I got the most and I think a lot of people I almost it feels cliche, not not cliche, but I just hear it a lot, which I think is a wonderful thing. But it was, it gave me the empowered phrase of saying I was a writer. It mm-hmm. really did. Because I don't think, I think when Penn sort of anoints that to you, you go, oh, wow, that means something. You sit in, in that interview room, there's seven people sitting at a huge table and you have to answer hard questions. Uh, and then, you know, you're having to read your work in public and you, there's a sort of this coming out moment. And, uh, and not to say never mind to all the tools, you know, that are coming like in between all of that stuff and alongside that stuff. I think it was really being able to say I was a writer. I didn't do that 
but I, oh, sometimes, or, you know, the thing you, you hear people do, um, and even, even when people do that in front of me, I go, hey, wait a minute, you know, it's okay, it's okay to say it. I remember I went to a reading by, with, uh, Amy Bender was reading, and she said, saying you're a writer is a lot like standing in the forest naked, you know, like there's this you just have no protection. You just feel right. totally exposed. And it gets better the more and more you say it. Obviously, it gets better the more and more you're saying it and you're doing it, you know. Um, but I think both of those things, I had this actionable thing. It was like, I'm going to write these stories. I'm going to sit with this mentor. I'm going to listen to all these visiting writers and hear all these. No one had the same answer. That was fascinating. You know, you can ask writers a bunch of questions, as you know, probably from reading like Paris Review interviews and all the things that are out in the world and probably doing these interviews, I'm sure that you, everyone has a different take. And sure. to me, it was the biggest relief in the world because I'm terrible at math. I'm terrible at things that have one answer. <laughs> I like the multiplicity of, of that, of that world. I was like so assured that it's like, Oh man, you can go about this 17 different ways. You know, it was, it was wonderful. Another the thing that happens as, a, as an artist, and I think as a writer, and I've experienced it as an actor as well, is you can say that you're a writer. I could say that I'm an actor, but then that next question always follows it. Yeah. What can I see you in? Or where can oh, I read your yeah. writing? Oh, There's yeah. something that does happen once you actually get to that next step and get published. And uh, had that happened to you before the fellowship or was that you can't, you can't even enter in the fellowship if you've been published. Is that correct? Well, you can have a few, like you can have, you know, basically if you're like, Hey, I'm in 10 house and I'm in like the Paris Review in the New Yorker, we're like, Hey, you don't need us. Like yeah. you're doing just fine. I mean, that's the tricky sort of element. A lot of people ask me when, when applying, they're like, do I need this? And it's like, you should probably know. You know what I mean? If you think you don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, and I think sometimes it's a security thing. So I think that people can get that wrong and they do actually need it and they don't have the confidence. Um, but I mean, for me, I had found living in Los Angeles, if I said I was a writer, people would go, oh, what's your screenplay about? Right. Yeah. And so when I found that world of like, you know, literary or, you know, writers of books, I was so relieved. I was like, oh, you guys do the stuff that I wanted. Okay, great. You know, like, I don't have to, like, explain. We're all speaking the same language. And yeah. isn't this a relief? You don't have to move to New York. And yeah, well, you know, I, I I have a crush on New York right now, so that's, that's hard to say. But um, not but moving anytime that, soon. There, there's something to be said. It was something I was going to add to bring up as well. Like, have you noticed this literary world growing in in mm. the time that you've been here and been a part of Penn? Yeah. Um, have you noticed that Los Angeles is slowly kind of finding yeah. its place in that world, that it's not just this East Coast-dominated beast? Yeah. I mean, 100%. I mean, I think even back to when I started at Penn, which I... I started working at Penn about a year after I finished the fellowship. I finished the fellowship and I was like, I'll do anything you guys need. Like mm -hmm. I'll volunteer or whatever you want. And my first job there was like, they're like, oh, we'd like you to find some mentors. And I was like, this seems 
like a big job. <laughs> and so, you know, I took it in earnest and, and I still do that to this day, but I, I think part of it is part of my job is actually resourcing what, who lives here and who's involved and who can I get involved. And, and it's fascinating how many writers are moving here like every year, uh, some mm-hmm. often from New York, a lot of them from New York, they're, they're, they feel done there or they want the change. Um, and then, you know, you know, a few, few years into developing programming for Penn, we realized that it's like, oh, these people that maybe came through the fellowship or these people that like maybe we didn't even know. I mean, there are longstanding, um, you know, readings that are going on in Los Angeles and have been for years. You know, they're, but we started seeing new ones. We started seeing people that were like, oh, I'm going to do a pop-up reading here. I'm going to do this or and then with readings forms communities because you have these people are coming out to support and then you have someone you're grabbing a drink with that you're talking books and writing with and that just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. So, and not to mention all the like writing workshops and all of that. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's definitely, um, I think it's grown tremendously. I think it was already kind of here and I think that it's had a, it's had a nice like spurt. I feel like I've seen, and a lot of writers are that are, you know, have established themselves here. People, I can go to the East Coast and I mention their name. Like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it, it's sort of stretched in that way, which I find, you know, obviously you're preaching the choir because this is what I do for a living. But like that, that to me is like magic. That's great. That's all that's because the thing is, if someone's a new writer and they're here and they're sort of like me, I was and sort of popping their head and looking around trying to find community it's not that hard to find anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's, if you, if you just go to like LA weekly or whatever timeout and look at any bookstore, any given night, there's an amazing reading going on. There's amazing satellite readings going on in clubs and bars and, you know, so there's like, you know, like, I don't know if you know, dirty laundry lit. That's an amazing reading series or, you know, there's hot dish, which is done at AT6. It's a great reading series. There's just a ton out there that, um, I would be so stoked if I just kind of arrived on the scene. I'd be like, wow, you know. Right. Now, you yourself as a writer, <clears throat> I don't know why I had to say you yourself. It's okay. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about how you find the time to write and in your mm-hmm. process in writing. I know you said, like, we can interview a million people and they're all going to have their different ways. But I think like mm-hmm. somewhere through those millions of ways, you're going to find that one kind of connecting through line. That's my goal mm-hmm. with these, these podcasts. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about how and why. So talk a little bit about yeah. your process. Do you come up with, is it a story first? Is it a character first? Mm-hmm. And then how you take the time to actually sit in front of the computer or write or the notebook and write. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I'm a fan of the podcast. I forgot to say that at the top, but like, it's great what you do and it's fascinating. And like, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a junkie for this kind of stuff. So I, I've just been sitting on your website, just like scrolling, listening and like at, while I'm at work with my headphones on. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. You. It's important. It really is. It's, it's an, it's an amazing way to get a further reach too. It's really great. Um, okay. So for me, like the short sort of trajectory of how I found what I would like to say is, and I, and I knock on wood as I say it, my practice, <laughs> but like, 
I finished EV, Emerging Voices, and I had a few years where I was just sort of like, wait, where did everybody go? You know, because anytime you finish sort of writing programs, I think of any kind, you have to find your footing again. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took about four years, and then I went to Bennington College. Uh, they have an amazing MFA program there. Um, and that was a dream for me. Like, all I wanted to do ever was go to a um, go to a place where I, everyone just cared about reading and writing, and I could just focus on my work. Like, it was a dream. And, you know, I have a, an affinity for the East Coast, and it was in Vermont, and it was all just, you know, kind of dreamy. Um, and I did that, and, you know, you come out with a thesis, uh, you work with amazing people. I worked with uh, Brett Anthony Johnston and Amy Hempel, David Gates, and Paul Yoon. And, uh, and then I kind of sort of came out the other end of that. And it was like, oh, I have this, like, I don't know, 100 page manuscript or thesis. And I thought the whole time that was going to be my book. And I think it really surprised me. And I would tell anyone in a low res, high res, low res program, it's not your book. Like, just relax. You know, like, don't. I know that some people it is like you hear that story over and over again. I finished my MFA program. I got an agent with that exact manuscript. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it would have been a huge relief to me to know that didn't have to happen. Right. Uh, but what I did come out with was some stories that were sturdy, that were good, that were that were holding together, you know. And I think I spent, as I do after you know you finish something like that, I spent a year kind of going, how do I do this? in this world without sort of the deadlines and all that stuff. And then one day a friend of mine asked me, they were like, tell me your day. Cause I was like, I'm frustrated. I have writer's guilt all the time. I feel terrible about myself. And she said, I, I mapped out my day, like all the boring stuff, you know, from driving, to go, go to work, brushing your teeth, all of it. And, and she was like, what are you doing from that hour to that hour? And I was like, sleeping. <laughs> And she's like, why don't you try and do something then? Just try it. And hmm. so, you know, for a good two weeks, I set an alarm and I shut it off every day. Um, I looked at it, though. Like, I was like, oh, that's there. That's interesting. I'm just going to let that opportunity pass. Um, and finally, one day I got up and made coffee and I, and I had a story I had to work on. I had like a nice, I had got a nice little thing from the Paris Review that was like, oh, we don't like this, so send us something else. So I was like, if there's ever a reason. Um, and so I ended up working on that story for like, oh God, too too long to, okay, I'll say it, about three to six months. Finish that okay. story. Um, okay. It is coming out in the fall though. Can I say that? It's coming yes. out in the fall sure. in the Los Angeles Review of Books. So that's good. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something came of it, but it was, it was, it was great because I had something to work on. And so I basically work and still work from eight to nine every morning and bar something like crazy important or I, you know, something happens, but like, don't do the weekends to give myself a break. But if, and here's my rule. So I have to work from eight to nine every day. And if I don't, if I am on the internet or if I'm not doing right by that time, I have to submit something before I get up and go to work. So I have to just go online, find some, some open submission, find a story I have that I'm trying to get out and then submit it. And then my work is done. <laughs> so how many stories do you have like backlogged about estimated that are just sitting and ready to be submitted? I was sitting and ready. Um, I probably have, I mean, I've had a, I, I, I'm very lucky to say I've had a good year. I think 
that decision to sit down and do that, that sort of like, I'm not scared to submit my work anymore. I think I was holding back for a long time because I felt really ready, worked. So I placed about six to eight stories in the last like year and a half. Um, and I probably have about six too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, making new ones all the time, John, like sure. working as yeah. fast as possible because I'm trying to finish this collection uh, before I go totally gray, you know? Um, so, you yeah. a while, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> One can hope, yes. Well, Libby, thank you so much for taking the time to talk yeah. with us um, and educating all of our listeners about what you're doing with Penn Center USA. Absolutely. Um, and congratulations on the upcoming publication. Um, thank we'll you. Keep an eye out for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I would, you know, just as closing, I would encourage people to become Penn members. Um, our application opens for Emerging Voices next like april or may next spring so people are like oh this sounds interesting um you know they have a, a, a while to prep their application uh, and yeah and they can always email me if they have any questions and thank you for taking the time to talk to me and for doing all the work that you do this has been the how the why with john barrett ingles the show is produced by Kevin Stanick and yours truly, with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The How the Why theme music was composed and performed by Dan Record. Please consider supporting 1888 and our mission. Become an 1888 advocate by purchasing our books, participating in our programs, and pledging today. For more information, visit 1888.center. That's 1888.center. I want to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you. <laughs>